good to be back. Missed last Wednesday. We took a, a quick couple days off. Uh, we had a, some gift cards we had to get used up to a water park. And with baby coming, we wanted to make sure we could get that done before baby showed up. So we snuck away for a couple days and did that. And I've heard from numerous people that when it was announced that I wasn't here, that there was clapping. And people said they didn't know if they clapped because they were happy I was taking a break or happy that I wasn't here. So I don't know. And uh, I'll just assume the better. But I don't believe it. So we're in Revelation 22. And people keep asking, are we almost done with Revelation? I don't know if that's because you don't want to be done with Revelation or because you do want to be done. We are in the final chapter of Revelation here. And hopefully we're going to get through a chunk of this. But it's a pretty good chapter here, 20 verses. And I don't like to rush through things. So we're going to make sure that we get everything covered. So we're in the final chapter here, the final thoughts in the book of Revelation. If you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, chapter 21, we've been talking a lot about heaven and eternity. Because with chapter 20, we ended all the bad stuff. Judgment is done. Tribulation is done. The judgment of non-believers is done. And so with chapters 21 and 22, it's all about heaven. And we spent a lot of time talking about those verses back in verse 4 of chapter 21. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There will be no more pain for the former things that passed away. What a wonderful topic that was to talk about. Then a couple weeks ago, we talked about this new Jerusalem and what that was, the inhabitation for all of eternity. And now, in chapter 22, we get to talk a little bit more about heaven. We have about uh, five verses here that deal with the heavenly realm, and then really verse 6 on is some final thoughts. So let's go ahead and start here in verse 1 and see what else we can find out about our eternal home. Verse 1, it says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, and each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nation. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. What a neat picture that is. Now, I love these passages. Somebody asked a couple weeks ago, what about the tree of life? Tree of life makes an appearance here in verses 1 through 5, which talks about that idea of the eternal life that we have, the eternity that we get to be up there in heaven. We've talked about this word eternity a lot here the last few weeks and trying to grasp our mind around that. We deal with such a finite world. We deal with seconds and minutes and days and months. To think about something going on for all of eternity, it's fascinating to think about. Now, we're on the eternal blessing side of it, but as we've talked about the last few weeks too, there's also the eternal hell side of it too. There's the eternal resting with the Lord, which heaven is, but there's also the eternal hell of not being with God. And so when we look at this eternal blessing, we stop here and we say, this is what we want. We want that relationship with Christ. We want the blessing of this. So what's going on? Verse 1, you see the water of life coming out of the throne, and then you see the tree of life with the different fruits. Now, this is an interesting thing there. In verse 2, it says, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. That word healing is where we get our English word therapy. So it's actually not talking about healing. It's talking about a therapeutic thing that you stop and think about, something where the healing has happened and now the therapy is there, and what a blessing that is. It's supposed to be something that is soothing, something that is good. Verse 3, there's no more curse. This is something that we can't even put our minds around. Our whole life revolves around curse. Now don't raise your hands because it would be embarrassing. Gals, how many of you that are married have had struggles with your husband here in the last week or so? That's part of the curse. Genesis 3. Men... How many of you have had struggles with work and sweating and toil? That's part of the curse. How many of us in the last week or so have had a physical health problem? That's part of the curse. How many of us have had something go wrong in this world? That's part of the curse. Our whole life revolves around the curse. Anybody that works in the medical field, you have a job because of the curse. 
Anybody that works as a police officer, a firefighter, and you know anything like that, you have a job because of the curse. I have a job because of the curse. The curse evolves everything we do. We're fallen creatures stuck in sin, and everything is touched by the curse. So when it says in verse 3, there shall be no more curse, that's not a little point. That's a huge point. That means that there's no more physical, mental, or emotional, spiritual toil or trouble or anything. It's all done. It's all over. We get to rest for all of eternity. What a beautiful picture that is. And then we're up there with God and the Lamb. Verse 4 talks about ownership. Two things. First off, we get to see the face of God. It shows this oneness with Him. And then not even that, just catching verse 4, His name shall be on their foreheads. Now, does that mean literal? I don't know. But when the name's on the forehead, that denotes what? Ownership. We are God's. And so since we are God's, meaning in the sense that we are His ownership, we are His for all of eternity. Verse 5, there's no more night there. There's no need, no lamp, nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. We've been outside a lot here with the way the weather has been going, and it's just so nice just to be in the sun. The warmth that it is, how good that feels. And so this idea of in heaven, why don't we need the sun? Because the Lord is our light, and the Lord is our warmth. God is everything we need. Our world revolves around, literally and figuratively, the sun. And so now to be up in heaven, our world will revolve around the Lord and who he is. He's our warmth. He's our light. He is everything. And so there's not going to be these celestial bodies. And as we've talked about before, those celestial bodies are under the curse as well. All creation has been cursed. And so therefore, since that's under the curse, they have to be let go of, and we have to start from scratch with them. And we don't even have to start with them because God says, I'll just be the light. I'll be everything you need, and what a blessing that that is. So you have some really neat pictures here. You see the eternal life we have through the tree of life. You see the idea of the living water that we've talked about a lot before. There's no more curse, us serving God, that oneness with the Lord, seeing him face to face, ownership for all of eternity, we are his, and the idea of the light and the lamp and the strength and the warmth that he gives, he's everything we need. What an absolute blessing that is. What a neat picture of what the heavenly realm is and what that means and what that represents. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments about that aspect as we finish up our discussion on heaven? Because we changed topics here a little bit in verse 6. Okay, let's move on then. Verse 6, it says, Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that. For I'm your fellow servant, and of your brethren, the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal the words of this prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. There's some really neat points that come out of this. First off, verse 6, these words are faithful and true. Now, we just talked about that back in verse, uh, where was it? Verse 5 of chapter 21, right? These words are true and faithful. The reason this is being repeated, because when you have a bad day, and I'm assuming a lot of you recently have had a bad day, it's really easy just to give up. It's really easy just to say, this life isn't worth it. It's really easy to say, what's the point of praying? What's the point of anything? It's really easy to let depression and discouragement get the best of you. The reason this is stressed to us in verse 6, these words are faithful and true, is to remind you this is not your home. Yes, this world is depressing. Yes, this world is discouraging. And that's the way it's supposed to be. It's under a curse. Sometimes it blows my mind when I run into people thinking this world should all be happy, happy. This is a fallen, cursed world that is depressing and discouraging. And the only hope we have is in Jesus Christ for all of eternity and heaven. 
If this world was so good we wouldn't want to leave it, what would be the point of eternity in heaven? What would be the point? This is a cursed, fallen place. So when I have a bad day, I need to remind myself of verse 6, that these words are faithful and true, and I need to know that heaven is just around the corner. Did you catch this in verse 6? These things which must shortly take place. And that goes right ahead with verse 7. Behold, I am coming quickly. Now let's talk about that phrase, coming quickly, because it's also used in verse 12. Behold, I'm coming quickly. And just to make the point, jump ahead to verse 20. Surely I'm coming quickly. Now, when three times in one chapter, Jesus says, I'm coming quickly, I think he's trying to make a point. Now, we've already run into this word quickly before. This word quickly is a really interesting word. It's where we get our English word for the tachometer, that thing you have on the car that shows the RPMs. See, this phrase, coming quickly, it can also mean that this stuff is going to happen soon. But it also means when this stuff happens, it happens quickly. And to think about it, not to sound dreadful here, we're all one breath, one heartbeat away from heaven. That's pretty quick. Not a lot of warning for some people. Not a lot of warning at all. To be one breath, one heartbeat away from heaven, you understand the behold, I'm coming quickly. He may be coming quickly to us. We may be going coming quickly to him. And we need to be knowing this. We need to be prepared for this. And what happens is, and I, you know what, guys, I'll be honest, I've run into this myself. When I first got saved back in 93, I had people that I really love and respect, and they kept telling me, oh, my goodness, we're not going to be here for another year or so. Oh, Jesus is going to be coming back any time. Look at how bad it's getting. Nearly 20 years later, what do I run into? People saying, we're not going to be here much longer. Look at how bad it's getting. The nation's getting ready to fall apart. The world's getting ready to fall apart. We're just one pebble away from the whole thing breaking. That's quite possible. In 20 years, I may be saying, you know what, guys? We're one pebble away. If you look at it, from Acts on, nearly every apostle, disciple thought their generation was the last generation. I've heard a pastor teach on this before where he says he feels the Lord puts it on every generation. You could be the last generation to spur us on to work, to do things. When's he going to return? I don't know. When's the world going to fall apart? I don't know. I'm not going to sit here waiting for the world to fall apart. The Bible says, occupy till I come. I'm going to keep working while the Bible says it's daylight. There's an opportunity here to serve. There's an opportunity to minister. There's an opportunity to see souls get saved, people that are lost get found in Christ. I'm not going to run and just wait for the sky to fall down. I'm not chicken little. So let's just keep moving forward. Is he coming quickly, verse 7? Yeah, when's quickly? I don't know. But I want to be ready, and I want to be prepared for that, because I know that he is going to be coming. Now, I find some other stuff really encouraging in this passage as well, too. Verse 8 and 9. John falls down and worships the angel. Did you catch that? Well, what happened, jump back to chapter 19, verse 10. And it says, And I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and your brethren who have the same testimony of Jesus. Worship God. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Jump back to Revelation 22, three chapters later. Oh, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Verse 8, verse 9, then he said to me, See that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant and of your brethren the prophets and of those who keep the words of this book worship God. Now it's really easy for me to look at John at this point and say, Come on, man. Three chapters ago you just did the same thing. And, and we have this situation with our kids at home a lot. where Didn't we just talk about this? Didn't we just tell you not to do that? And three minutes later, you're doing the exact same thing again? So it's easy for me to look at my kids and say, when are they ever going to learn? It's easy for me to look at John and say, come on, John. You're the apostle, excuse me, the disciple that Jesus loved. He wrote five books. 
in the New Testament, and you can't figure this point out, then I just need to look in my spiritual mirror and think of how many times do I repeat, repeat, repeat the same stupid things. And aren't you glad for the grace of the Lord? Aren't you glad where it says at verse 8, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things, and then he said to me, John, you're an idiot. See, it doesn't say that. Aren't you glad? It says, don't do it. Grace mercy there. And I love that because we have a tendency to do dumb things again and again and again. And by no means whatsoever am I giving some green light to say, oh, I can sin and just ask for forgiveness and move on. I'm not saying that. But the point is we have a tendency to repeat really dumb things. And aren't you so thankful that once you do it and you feel that conviction and that guilt that you can just go to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I just did it three days ago. It was like John just did it three chapters ago, but Lord, I am sorry. He forgives. What a beautiful thing that is. What a beautiful picture of grace and mercy that is. And I absolutely love it. Verse 10, do not seal the words of this prophecy for the book for the time is at hand. I don't know why it is. People are scared to death for the most part to get into Revelation. I know pastors that say that we will not teach it, will not get into it. I can remember when I was uh, growing up, the church I grew up in, I can remember my Sunday school teacher, she got into the book of Revelation, and there was this huge uproar of why are we teaching Revelation? We're teaching Revelation because right here in verse 10, don't seal it. This is good information. In fact, in just a little bit, we're going to talk about how people are blessed by this. Verse 18, for I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. He wants us to hear it. We talked about back in chapter 1, one of the greatest blessings you can get is getting into this book. Because you really get to see who Jesus is. So he says in verse 10, don't seal it up. Don't hide away from this stuff. Keep on talking about it. Keep on learning it. Keep studying it. And then verse 11, there's a warning there. Basically saying, where are you at? Are you righteous or are you filthy? Because if Jesus is returning, you have to stop and ask yourself, are you righteous or are you filthy? got to be ready for him. And sometimes we think we're righteous when we're really filthy. I got home, I came out and worked this morning a little bit at church, and I got home in the afternoon, I had a few hours before I had another appointment. And I had to swing by the Winsingers and pick something up for church. And Renee, uh, when I picked up what she needed, she also made a plate of cookies for us, for the Irvins. So I got home, and the, I knew the boys were outside playing in the back, so I come back to the back of the house, and I had this plate of cookies. And I said, hey, does anybody want a cookie? And they said, yeah. And I said, how are your hands? And I said, clean. Now, back up real quick. Yesterday... We decided to go down to the creek, which is just right behind our house. So we walked the whole creek, and we like to find things. So one of the things that we found at the creek was this huge skull. It wasn't human. It was a skull of some animal there. And you guys are like, oh, it's just an animal. It's like some deer or something like that. Well, the boys think it's a giraffe, but I didn't have the heart to tell them it's probably not a giraffe. So anyway, it's, this big, it's a big skull. And so what happened was, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to get into evolution here because I obviously don't believe in evolution. But if I did believe in evolution, I would think I was seeing it right in front of me. My boys took the jaw bones off. They just started digging <laughs> and hitting each other. It looked, like, it looked like one of those movies. It really did. And so I come home, full story now, and there's the skull sitting in our backyard. And both of my boys have just jaw bones of this dead animal in their hand. And I say, how are your hands? They said, clean. They're holding the jawbone of a dead animal that we just found the other day. But they are bound and determined that their hands are clean. I look at verse 11, and I think sometimes people are walking in filth of sin and saying, how are you doing spiritually? I'm doing great. You're filthy. Now, that's not judgmental, but you're filthy. And this is the point that he's trying to say here in verse 11 is, are you righteous? Are you filthy? Now, before you start thinking, well, no one's righteous, go back to our study in Romans. The only way you're made righteous is through Jesus Christ. So yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I have sin in my body, but I am also righteous in Christ. That's why I can have eternity in heaven. And so you have to stop and just look at your life. Verse 11, are you walking in filthiness? 
Are you walking in righteousness? The reason this point is important because jump back to verse 7, look at verse 12, and look at verse 20. I'm coming quickly. We have to be ready. We have to be prepared. And going one step further, look at verse 12. Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. He's coming back with this idea of rewards. Now, at this point, there's usually someone that stops and says, well, I don't care about the rewards. I'm just glad to make it. I understand what you're saying. You're not looking for the rewards to pat yourself on the back. But you have to remember these rewards that we get are not for us. As we've talked about here numerous times, the rewards that we inherit for all of eternity are rewards that we get to then lay down at the feet of Jesus and say, these are for you. Second John verse 8, we don't have time to go there, but just listen up. It's a great verse. It says, look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, that we may receive a full reward. I like that. That we do not lose those things we've worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. I don't want to show up at the gate of heaven empty-handed. I don't. I don't want Christ to look at me and say, okay, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you believed in me. I'm glad you're in. How did you live your life for me down here on this earth? I don't want to show up empty-handed. I want to show up with a basket full of rewards to say, Lord, with the years that you gave me, with the breath that you gave me, this is how I served you. That's what I want to do. So when I look at this passage here about rewards in Revelation 22, once again to remind you, this is not the type of rewards that you get to walk around for all of eternity saying, look at me. This is what you get to bring to the party for all of eternity. Lord, this is what I did for you. How did I serve you? So this gives us a glimpse into this heavenly scene. This scene of, I want to be righteous through Christ. I don't want to show up empty-handed. And I want to come and go and serve the Lord with everything I got because he could be coming quickly and I need to be prepared and ready for that. And I want to serve him. I want to serve him. That's what it comes down to. Now, before we make our final points here, does anybody have any quick questions, comments, before we go ahead and uh, get ready to close up here real quick? Okay. Just a couple of things I want to back up and make sure that we hit. I really like this point in verse 5 where it says that there's no night there, there's no lamp, no light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light. I just want to hit this point real quick, because I think this is a neat application point. That idea of no night. Now, we've shared this example before numerous times. When are we scared? We're scared at night. If it's noon and there's a sound down in the basement, we go down and look at it. If it's midnight and there's a sound down in the basement, I send dawn, because no one wants to deal with it. There's this idea of night is scary. Daylight isn't. And a lot of us don't want to admit it, because we're very manly or womanly, I guess. Verse 5 we walk in fear. We walk in fear of what the diagnosis is going to be. We walk in fear of what's going to happen to my kids. We walk in fear of I'm not going to find a job. We walk in fear of I'm going to lose my job. We're going to walk in fear that I'm never going to find the right man or woman. We walk in fear that the man and woman I found doesn't love me. We walk in fear all the time. Fear is representative of night. There's no night there. I'm just telling you right now, I can't remember the last day where there was not a, a hint of fear worry, or anxiety in my life. I'm really looking forward to heaven just to be able to wake up and say, I don't have to fear anymore. There's no night. And this shining glory of God is a fascinating thing. And we get a few little glimpses of it. In Matthew 17, when Jesus is transfigured on the mountain, the Bible talks about him shining. And Paul, when he got saved in Acts 9, there was a bright light that he describes in Acts 26 as being brighter than the noonday sun. Now, I'm not saying that for all of eternity we have to walk around with our hand covering our eyes. I don't mean it that way. Because in our fleshly bodies, I don't think we can handle the glory of God. In our eternal bodies, we'll be able to handle that because we'll be like Christ. But what a blessing it is that in our fleshly bodies, this bright, shining light that we can't stand, but yet in heaven, that's what's going to warm us, that's what's going to encourage us, that's what's going to light our way. And just, I, I keep going back to this point 
Verse 4, I get to see his face. Verse 5, I have no fear. And what did it say there in verse 3? No curse. Oh my goodness, guys, that's what heaven's all about. No fear, no worry, no anxiety, no tears, no pain, no stress, no anything. What a blessing. That's heaven. And this is what we get to look forward to for all of eternity. And, 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 and the cherry on top of it is, it doesn't come out right and say for sure, but in verse 2, if this tree is bearing fruit, I think the assumption is we get to eat that fruit, and I like the idea of eating. I like that. So for heaven, we know when the angels came down and spoke to Abraham, Abraham made him food and the angels ate. We know that when Jesus was resurrected, and that when he was in his glorified body, he ate. You get food. Why not else be happy? It's one of those things of what a blessing this is. There's no stress, no worry, no fear, no anxiety, no curse, no tears, no nothing. Oh my goodness. And how simple is it? It comes down to verse 11. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. You want to be righteous, you want to be holy. It comes through Jesus Christ and what he did on us. And like we've said, and I think we've finished out here with nearly every message in Revelation. This is a great thing to study. It's a great thing to talk about. But unless we know Christ personally, this means nothing. And if we know Christ personally, then what are we doing with this information to go tell our unsaved friends and loved ones, do you know Christ? Because we want people to have the same thing that we have well. Because as we've talked about numerous times, verse 7, verse 12, verse 20, it's coming quickly. We need to be ready. We need to be prepared. So we'll pick it up again in verse 13 next week, and we'll finish up our study here in Revelation 22 and finish our study in the book of Revelation. Does anybody have any final questions, comments here before we close up? Ryan. Mm. Yeah, and the thing about manna, you have to remember, and we joke about this a lot, and some of you know where I'm going. If you go back and you look at the description of manna, that's like a wafer with honey on it, etc. It's like a pastry. It's like a donut. It's like going out every morning and having cream-filled donuts. That's what the Israelites got to eat. So if for all of eternity, if manna is something sweet and good, that's a good thing to eat. So there, there's this blessing of that, and... Uh, I don't know. I think there could be food in heaven. It could be kind of fun. Anybody else have anything they want to say here before we close up? All right, let's pray and we'll let you go. Heavenly Father, we come to you now and we just are very thankful. Thankful for the day to be here. Thankful for just the eternity that you give, the salvation that you give. Lord, help us to never take that for granted in our lives. Lord, we want to be diligent serving you, Lord. We want those rewards, not for our glory, but for you. And Lord, if we know people that do not know you, we pray in the name of Jesus that the Spirit is speaking to their hearts, salvation, and truth. And Lord, we lift this up in your name. And Lord, we joke a lot. We make a lot of fun comments, but thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the eternity and the blessing of heaven and what that represents. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. You guys, have a good week and God bless.